but uh, it is good to be here. If you will, this evening, open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 19. And I want us to concern ourselves this evening with the fact or the matter of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 19, beginning at verse 25 and verse through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the mother of Cleophas, Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his, unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her un, unto his own home. Our God and our Father this evening, as has been expressed already, we're thankful for the time that we're given here this evening. We're thankful, Father, for your blessings, for the things, Father, which you give, and the things that you take away, and the things that you forbear from giving. We don't always understand, we do not always see what you have in mind as a purpose. Well, your Father, we don't need to know what you have in mind. We just need to know that your mind is going to do that which is good unto us. Though they may seem like hardships, they may seem like things of distress, your word tells they all work together for good to those that are the call, those that you love. We are not alone. We are not left to chance. For indeed, we have a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present. No place we can go that you are not with us, that you're not totally aware. It's a song where we sung, may we indeed learn, if we have not learned, to trust and obey. For truly that is the only way to be happy in Jesus, is to trust and obey. Go with us now, Father, we open your word. May the hearts of the speaker and the hearer be prepared for that which is to follow. And we ask these things, Father, for Christ's sake. Amen. I note in these three verses what to me is a remarkable quality of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very existence of the Lord Jesus Christ is a remarkable existence. But there's a quality exhibited here in these three verses. And that is the ability to set aside his immediate situation and focus on the needs of others. Remembering that the Lord Jesus Christ is now hanging on the cross at Calvary. He has spent a night of torment, torture, scourging. He's been nailed to this tree. He's got a crown of thorns pressed down upon his head. He's been humiliated. He's been spat upon. He said the hair of his face pulled out. And yet he was mindful of two people around the cross. But we're not going to just look at those two. I want to look at several people this evening as we consider the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here our first individual is that of his mother, Mary. This is we would think would be automatic. But here, again, the situation the Lord is in, he looks down 
Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister and Mary, the, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw, he looked down and he saw his mother standing at the foot of the cross. I find this to be striking when we consider the fact That when he does address her, he doesn't address her as mother. He addresses her as woman. I don't fully understand why he approached or addressed her that way, but he called her woman. And I'm going to give you what I think is not so much why he said this to her, but the result of it, or what we may find as a possible reason for it. But I'm turning now to the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 46 through verse 50. While he yet talked to the people... Behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Who is my mother and my brethren? Who are my brethren? And he stretched his hand out. Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister, and mother. He declared no specialness to Mary, his mother, here in Matthew chapter 12. But yet when it came down to the time of his leaving this earth, he took special consideration of her. He showed the definite concern for her that at least what I read here in Matthew chapter 12, he didn't express. He said, who are my, who is my mother? Who is my, who are my brethren? The ones that are my brethren, my sister, my mother are those that do the will of my father. But again, here at this point in time, he takes his mother into consideration. Some of his last words before his Demise are words that are froth with concern for his mother and the instructions that he has for her future. As I said before, when he does address her, he addressed her as woman. Not so much as my mother. You know, speculation can be made why this is done, and I will speculate this evening, and I'd say this is only my speculation. But I think that it's preemptively done to squash the heresy that is going to come about Mary being the mother of God. Mary is not the mother of God. God, Jehovah, is the self-existing one. He will always, of himself, exist it. He did not have a mother to bring him into existence. And I believe it's an abominable statement to say that Mary was the mother of God. 
She was indeed the mother of the Lord Jesus, but not the mother of God. In the book of Luke, we would turn there to chapter 1, and I want us to notice verses 26 through 33. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God in a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And a virgin, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Not above women, but among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him a throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary found favor with God. But there was nothing special about Mary other than the fact that at this point in time she was a virgin. But There is no way that we can fix in our minds and validly say Mary was the mother of God. Now I have heard it said, and I had one great aunt that was very fond of saying that a woman can get closer to Jesus than a man can. And she justified that statement by saying, because Jesus was born of a woman. And for that reason, a woman can get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ than we men can. I can never convince her that that was not true. As many times we try, I try to discuss it with her, it just didn't sink in. She was convinced that was the case. And I don't mean to say here or to be here as, uh, oh, when I'm speaking out of turn. But I will say that I think oftentimes when it comes to Christ and when it comes to the relationship that individuals have with him, to give a preeminence in the position and relationship with Christ to women is just unfounded. There are definite qualities, there are definite responsibilities, there are definite limitations that both men and women have. But they are not associated with access to Christ. There are limits in our responsibilities, our duties, there's limits, limits in our, the authority that we can carry, but it has nothing to do with access to the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I want to build on that idea as we go on. With, we're in the book of, look, go back to Matthew chapter 1, and I want us to consider the The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll I'll 
I'll read it and then I'll explain what I want to say. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Why am I reading chapter 2? Now, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, his, his, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away pri privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Mary found favor with God God chose, God determined to make her to be the mother, the woman that will bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ. The anointed one has been planned and purposed before the foundation of the world. She was indeed the mother of Jesus, delivered in Bethlehem, but not the mother of God. There is a reason that he would be concerned about Mary. In the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, we find in part, Honor thy father and thy mother. It is incumbent upon children to honor their parents. Now that does not mean only when they are deserving of it. That does not mean only when we are pleased with them, but we are to honor our mother and our fathers. And the, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, kept all the law of God. I think in part, this is why this is noted here. To show that in every way, our Lord was sensitive to and desirous of keeping all the law of God. It is possible by this time that Joseph, his supposed father, was dead. You don't hear anything else of him. And again, this is my speculation. But if that is true, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 we're told, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. He has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You're going to find in Matthew, in the book of Acts chapter 1, and we'll not turn there, but chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, that Mary, his mother, and his brethren were in Jerusalem after the crucifixion. They continued with the apostles. And with this in mind, I want us to consider one more thing on this matter. First Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5. I want to begin our reading at verse 5, down through and including verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5 through 10. Now she that is a widow, indeed, and desolate, trusteth in God, and continueth in supplication and prayers night and day. But she has lived, but, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. 
And these things are these things given charge that they may be blameless. But if any begin, any provide not for their own, especially for the house of, of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken in under the number under the, under three score years old, having the wife of one man, well reported of of good works. If she have brought children, or brought up children, if she have lost strangers, if she have washed saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have gent- diligently followed every good work. There was apparently, or I would say, to my way of thinking, Mary fit these qualifications. Because he not only addressed her, but he addressed that disciple that he loved, none other than John himself. And he told John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her in to his own house. Our Lord was very careful to make sure that this woman, his mother, was well taken care of. We find also another example of the concern that the Lord Jesus Christ had for others while he hung on the cross at Calvary. Luke 23. Verse 39 through 43. Luke chapter 23. And we have here the case of the two that were crucified with Christ. Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Say, Thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Again, Christ is hanging on the cross at Calvary. He takes time out to make sure that his mother is taken care of. While he's hanging there being railed upon by one malefactor, The other beseeches him. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Christ said, not only will I remember you, but this day will you be with me in paradise. The Lord Jesus Christ was concerned about those that the Father had given him unto the very end. We noted last night that the Lord Jesus Christ loved his own unto the end. Christ is concerned. He was concerned. He has compassion upon his people. We've looked at those two examples I want us to further consider that not only was the Lord Jesus Christ considerate and concerned on the cross. He was considerate. He was concerned. He had compassion throughout the time that he walked upon this earth. He was one that was able to be touched. He was one that was affected by the needs, the hurts, and the afflictions of those around him. In the book of Matthew, 
we find in chapter 14, the caves are one of the caves where the Lord feeds a good number of people. And I'm afraid that oftentimes we, the children of God, or maybe I shouldn't say we, I would say me, I'm not always mindful of the needs and the hurts and the afflictions of others. But in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 14, down to including verse 18, and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick, and it was evening. His disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may get go into the village and buy themselves victuals. Does that sound familiar? Let them go and home and take care of themselves. Let them go and buy food for themselves. But the Lord Jesus Christ had a different idea. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. They don't need to go home. We don't need to send people that come to us that have a need. Well, go over here or go over there. They'll take care of it. If someone comes and asks us for money, I can't find a case in the scripture where we're told, send them someplace else. You give it to them. If they ask, you give it. If they want your coat, give it to them. We have a God with an unlimited storehouse. And yet we can be so selfish, so short-sighted, and show so little concern for the needs of others. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and start talking about an agenda where we feel we need to take up our, all the responsibilities of the whole world and feed everyone. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when the Lord gives us opportunity, we need to take the opportunity to be compassionate, to help, and to feed those that are in need that the Lord brings into our presence. In chapter 15 of this same book, Matthew Verse 30 through 32. And a great multitude came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at, the, at Jesus' feet. And he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to, the maimed to be whole, and the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified God of the God of Israel. Then Jesus called the disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days, and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint away. I will not send them away. There's no need for them to depart. I have compassion. I will satisfy their needs. I healed them. I gave sight to the blind. I gave the strength to the legs of the man so they can walk. Why would I not feed them? We need to be compassionate like our Lord was. But you know what I find in the Lord's compassion? That he is compassionate even down to the individual. 
Not the multitudes always, but the individual. Again, we're in Matthew, turn over to chapter 20. In Matthew 20, 30 through 34. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they, they, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes were received sight and they followed him. Two blind men sitting on the side of the road, knowing Jesus is coming by, cries out to him. But they're rebuked and told to hold your peace. They cried out the more. The Lord didn't keep walking. He heard their cries. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? We want to see. He stopped everything. And he met their need. The Lord hears the cries of one person, a thousand people, two people. There's another case of the one man that the Lord Jesus Christ took note of. In Luke chapter 7. It's the account of Zacchaeus who climbed up in a sycamore tree, who knew the Lord Jesus Christ was coming. In Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 11, and read down to including verse 15. And it came to pass the day after that he went into the city called Nain. And many of his disciples, make sure we're in the right place here, yeah, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when it came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a there was a dead man carried out. In fact, this wasn't Zacchaeus. I'll get to Zacchaeus in a minute. Carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city were with her. And the Lord saw her. He had compassion on her. And he said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the buyer. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. One woman in a seeming funeral procession, the Lord Jesus Christ stops and raised this young man from the dead. He had compassion on that one woman. That one woman caught his eye. We might think that there's so much going on in the world around us that God, that Christ, don't know, they don't see, they don't hear. One person gets God's attention. He knows the hairs on your head. The Lord has compassion. Luke chapter 19 is what I want as far as Zacchaeus is concerned. The first seven verses. And Jesus entered in, entered in and passed through Jericho. 
And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass by, by pass that way. When Jesus saw, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured saying that he is, a, is gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Let's read verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Zacchaeus, a little man, climbs up in a tree to see the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to who he was. And guess what? Christ knew who he was already. He stops where Zacchaeus is and says, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. I must dwell in thy house tonight. I must go home with you. He says in verse 9, this day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he is also the son of Abraham. Are you beginning to get the picture I'm trying to paint here? That our Lord is mindful of the needs of men and women. He is mindful of hurts. He is mindful of pain. He is mindful of fears. And yet we so often can't follow that example. Or so often we think that he is not even aware of us. I've had those times where I've wondered, does the Lord really care? Is Lord aware of what I'm going through? And each time I'm reminded. A bird doesn't fall out of the sky, the Lord doesn't know about it. So why would I think that he's not aware of what I'm going through? But guess what, folks? He hasn't stopped yet. He is still mindful. In the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, we have a case, or we're told, of the abilities that our Lord has. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18 In fact, I'm not going to begin my reading in verse 16. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, is all, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Our Lord lived on this earth for some 33 years. He suffered. He hungered. He was tempted. 
He's able to feel what we feel. As he sits on his throne today, he is able to comfort us in our pains and in our hurts. And it says there, wherefore all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You know what reconciliation means? It means a changing of position. It means a change of status before God. When the Lord makes reconciliation, he is making way for anyone that desires a relationship to know him, to know God. He makes that possible. He is merciful. He is faithful. And the things pertaining to God, he's always mindful. He's aware of what we feel. Lost people don't understand that. They don't understand the fact that there may be someone that took upon himself their form, was tempted as they are, and yet is merciful. Faithful and desirous of making reconciliation for those who at this moment are at odds or at enmity, enemies of God. Our Lord is faithful and merciful. He can change that status. The unbeliever needs to understand that Christ is totally and keenly aware of where they are, of their needs. And the only thing that is required of them is to come in faith Trusting him to give what is needful. Trusting him for their salvation. He didn't tear himself the form of an angel. He took upon himself the form of a man. He died the death of a man on the cross at Calvary. In so doing, he put death Put death to death. He was victorious over death in his resurrection. All that is needful is for one to come. While the Lord walked this earth, in Matthew 11 we find that he says, to Come unto me, all you the labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly. You'll find rest with me. I mean, principally, that is not talking about weary because you've been out to work all day. That's not weary because you've been in the fields all day long. That's weary and heavy laden because you realize the weight of sin that is on you. There's a great debt that you have to pay. You can't pay it. You need relief. He says, come unto me. I can relieve you. He said also in John chapter 6, as many as come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. If the Lord was aware of Zacchaeus, he was aware of the two blind men, he was aware of the woman that was going to bury her son. He was concerned about the multitude that had been with him for three days and hadn't eaten and he was not going to send them away. 
Why do we find it so difficult, people, as human beings, to take him at his word and come? The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to satisfy himself. He came to satisfy God. To accomplish what God has planned. If you do not come, you have no one to blame but you. I think we have showed adequately that the Lord Jesus Christ is compassionate upon people. If you come, he knows you're coming. He'll receive you. Why would you not come? Ask yourself, why will I not come? What is it that I think I have that I'm going to lose. You already lost everything. You're going to hell. Whatever you've got now, you're going to lose when you leave here. But yet, you find it very difficult, nigh unto impossible, to come. Christ feels our pain, our agony. In Hebrews, look at chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews 4 and 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There's two groups of people here. There's the unbeliever, and there is also the erring believer. Because see, the believers are not beyond the ability of going astray. But we're told, let us come therefore boldly under the throne of grace. Are you an erring church member this evening? The Lord knows this already. All you need to do is come boldly to the throne of grace. Christ has made that access available to you. I think sometimes the believers are some of the most stubborn people in the world. They think that they are beyond hope. Or that God won't forgive them. Or that they've sinned so much. Folks, the Lord Jesus Christ bore the sins of all those that God gave him. Every single one of them. Erring church member, come bold to the throne of grace. Unbelieving sinner, believe the gospel. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will receive you if you indeed want to be saved. But you know, with all this being said, the book of John sets forth a very sad commentary for the unbeliever. In John chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 39, but principally verse 40. Search the scriptures. Now he's talking to Jews here, but I believe this applies to anyone. Search the scriptures. From them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Now here's the sad commentary. And you will, you 
will not come to me that you might have life. Unbeliever. If you don't come to Christ, it's only because you don't want to. But if you have a desire to, by all means come. By all means trust what he says. But alas, too often, they don't come. They think, well, I've got to, I'll do it another day. And Brother Paul mentioned the one that said, well, I'm all right. I had an uncle that did the same thing. He died of cancer. But before he died, he was asked of relationship with Christ. He didn't say, I believe. He didn't say, Christ saved me. He said, I'm all right. I'm afraid he wasn't. There's no guarantee that any one of us is going to make it home tonight. Those that are believing, know and trust that the Lord Jesus Christ will receive them. Unbelieving, the Lord Jesus Christ is compassionate. He will receive as many as come. Will it be said of you this evening? Will it be said of you at the end of this week? Will it be said of you at the end of this year? Ye will not come unto me that you might have life. That's a sad commentary. That's a sad state of affairs. But folks, it's happening every single day. People are closing their eyes in death. They have heard of the Lord Jesus Christ off and on, probably all of their life. And yet they will not come. With every excuse that they can imagine, But know this, you cannot say that the Lord won't receive me. You cannot say the Lord doesn't care. You cannot say I've sinned too much because none of those are true. If you don't come, that you might have life. It's something because you evidently counted yourself unworthy of life. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Paul.